Okay, yes. Uh, welcome to the wrap up on these ancient on this ancient site webinar Portal to Ascension with Ariel uh, Patricia and Neil Gore and uh, of course our special guests Trisha McCannon and JJ and Desiree Hurtock. Uh, but Ariel, you sort of put this whole thing together. What what common threads do you think were were talked about today as far as ancient civilization? Yeah, absolutely. So, Alan, thank you so much. So, Portal to Ascension and Sacred Stories, this has been the Sacred Sites and Ceremonies Conference. And it's been really beautiful. And I encourage everyone, if you're interested, you can still contact Portal to Ascension. You can still sign up. Um, but we started with Mindahi Bastida, and we started with Mindahi explaining the, the uh, importance of the ancestral sacred sites, the importance of the land, the reverence for the land. And he brought in the four directions. He brought in um, so much for us that really spoke to how important it is that we engage in reciprocity, that we become in relationship with the land and with all of the kingdoms. And that's where we start. And then Grandmother Fotomayo took us further with that with some of her stories of how the invisible world and the visible world meet together. And she brought us to Serpent Mound and to her, her land where she's created some temples. And then Trisha McCannon brought in the sacred sites of the goddess and really then even expanded it more to the feminine and brought in the energy of the feminine and Mother Mary very specifically. And what I got from Trisha's specifically was the importance of these, these heavenly celestial beings that are communicating with us, that are appearing to us, that work with us, right, to elevate the consciousness and, and this world. And then we had JJ and Desiree Hurtak and Trisha and JJ and Desiree are on with us and they're going to talk in a moment, but they were able to tie everything together with the world pyramid grid. And they brought us from Egypt to, to South America, to many places around the world, and they chanted pyramid grid. And they brought us from Egypt and, um, and chanted, and I'll let them explain more because I won't even begin to do it justice, but tying together the importance of how all the sacred sites actually are interconnected and work together um, and the importance of sound and how it really is the sacred sounds that, that work with us as well. And then Freddie Silva, who had to jump off, did the Builder Gods of the Pacific and brought in Easter Island and New Zealand and Bolivia as well, and tied together the ancient peoples and how they traveled the world and the importance, the energetic place of the set of the world. And then finally, Neil, I'm just gonna wrap it up. He did Hampi India. And once again, he showed us how sound, how the different energetic points on, in, on the world and the interconnectedness of everything in the long history that we have. So it's been, a, it's been phenomenal, Alan. And I encourage everyone to to watch the replay if they've joined us. And I'm excited to hear kind of JJ and Desiree and Trisha and Neil's thoughts on the conference as well, because it was very powerful, very powerful, very honoring. And um, on this sacred day of the Mayan calendar for two bots, which is the day that we weave the sacred energies together to create a higher uh, higher energy in our world, I think, um, I think we've begun. Wow. Thank you, Ariel. That's great. That is a great wrap up. And Neil, you can jump in at the end if you want to. Uh, yeah. But I want to just talk about a little bit the whole idea of sacred sites where just not beautiful places or 
places of worship. They were places of initiation where people would go and then a higher elevation of consciousness would be infused because of the geometries, because of the sound, because of the location, because of the energies of the earth. So Trisha, why don't you talk about the journey of initiation and what would happen at these sacred sites that would elevate the, the student, the initiate to go to this next level in their own spiritual journey? Well, certainly all over the world, there are what we call today ley lines. The Aborigine call them song lines. The Chinese call them dragon lines or dragon paths. But they are connected with galactic ley lines, which are called synchronic lines. And these are rivers of energy that connect. Uh, they're like where the life force, the chi, um, or the shu, as we call it the in Egypt, uh, literally move through like rivers of energy and so every planet has between three and seven synchronic lines in other words life force lines from the galaxy that come into that planet our planet is a paradise planet even though we don't treat it that way because we have 18 of these synchronic lines and so then there's all sorts of tributaries of the ley lines that come off of them and they normally follow rivers underground rivers streams caves mountains mineral deposits because those are transmitters of energies and so when these initiations would take place at places like Stonehenge or inside the Great Pyramid or Avebury or the Aleutian Mysteries of Greece, for example, that took place inside of the caves of, you know, with the story of Demeter and Persephone. Basically, they were the, the uh, crystal within the granite becomes an amplification chamber. And by using sound, it winds up literally raising the vibration of the cells of the body so that it activates and aligns the subtle energy bodies. And when you call that energy down into you, you increase the expansion of the Shashumna, which is the central channel of the body. And of course, you can also begin to activate the trifold centrals uh, uh, nervous system, which is the sympathetic and the parasympathetic. But the ancient initiates had, of course, master teachers that had gone before them. Right. So, so they had done preparatory work, breath work, sound work, sacred geometric work, meditation work, but also emotional clearing work. So that when these things began to happen, the veils between the worlds became very thin. You know, wow. each, uh, we have many dimensional planes, but there's seven major, but each one of the dimensional planes has seven sub octaves. So literally pulling back the veils to be able to access those inner planes and to shift your consciousness to do basically soul travel work, you know. Right. It, let me let me get JJ and Desiree in on this. And thank you, Trisha. Good to see you again. And uh, JJ, thank yeah, talk to you, uh, Trish. Um, I agree with what you said. Desiree and I are social scientists, but we're also musicologists. Uh, we've had testing of mantrams and sacred uh, resonance throughout the world in many of these places with some of the most sophisticated uh, technology available, even under the nose of the Egyptian authorities. And uh, we were able to penetrate far beneath the earth, I think deeper than most, into the substructure where there was resonance cavities that produced a whole different energy grid system that was alive and active 
that allowed the Egyptians to use alternative systems of energy and psychology. But talk about the initiation. The of the ancient world, that was uh, Egypt, particularly the Giza area was the repository, not only of books and manuscripts, but also of musical ley lines and cues to activate the body, mind, and spirit. Right, Alan. So we've also actually done official musical testing in the Mexico area of Yucatan, several of the structures there, as well as in Egypt. And uh, it's amazing that we find that there is this resonance, and we feel that it actually puts the mind into an alpha state, so it puts you into a meditative state. But I want to say, in addition to all of this, and going back to what Trisha says, basically, we feel right now these grids are being reactivated. Some of them have been sleeping for a while. Some of them are, as uh, even Hampi had shown from India that Neil had shown, that you know they're really old and they haven't been used. But these areas are being reactivated now. And we feel there's gonna be a whole activated grid system around the planet, which is part of the opening of our structure to higher levels of divine intelligence. That was the importance of our participation today with all of you was that there was a psychological resonance slash ritualism that's necessary. We're not to be like Japanese tourists with cameras just on the outside. We are to realize what is inside the pyramids and these temples, which is the musical substructure of life. And no one can make it work unless you begin to sing and chant. And that's what people have to understand. That's square one. If we're not a musical travelogue, we're not a tourist travelogue, that's the old stuff. The new stuff is the reawakening of the soul that's been entrapped in physical form without knowledge of the, how the sacred geometries unfold into different resonance patterns which increase our wisdom, perception, and ability to work with all cultures rather than an opposition. That's right. I love what you guys said. One of the things you said in your talk, JJ, was um, that the frequencies you guys were picking up in the Great Pyramid was F and F sharp, which is the heart and the high heart. And, you know, if you look at that, and that's the whole thing is the awakening of the heart and the high heart which is that christ consciousness so can you speak a little bit about where you found that f f sharp frequency well right we found it both mostly in like the area of chitsen itza but some of the other places we did chitsen itza palenque uh, mainly in the yucatan and then we coordinated that with uh, the king's chamber and the ascending chamber of the great pyramid and we actually have had a peer-reviewed journal uh, on the work that we did in the Yucatan. Of course, they changed the frequencies to the Do, Re, Mi, Fa, because it's a foreign uh, publication. But anyway, yes, no, and there's many, but I think really the most important is that it, the, you know, people look at overtones and vibrations that come up. And I mentioned also in T Call, when we had, when Dr. Jack was singing, there was a female voice not mimicking him but doing harmonics for him. And that was a natural effect of the temple alignment. There was there. no body. It was an invisible sound, I should say body of sound, that was documented by two leading musicologists working with us. And that's the situation that you find in the Eastern traditions. The invisible world and the visible come together at a certain point. And that's why we feel like churches, I know you've done a lot of studies with churches, uh, Trish, that, you know, they're singing, there's vibrations. Uh, one of the, my favorite places in uh, Israel and Jerusalem is the Church of St. Anne, because they let you sing there. And uh, it's just beautiful. People come and you can, and the birds come and all the vibrations just totally change with sound resonance. And I think that's part of what activates I, the grids. 
Well, Tricia, if you could wrap up what the best things you've heard today and kind of weave it together so people just tuning in now can kind of pull it into a kind of bigger construct and go back, of course, and watch the video. But yeah. yeah I, I wanted to just finish the thought with that is the last time I took a group to Egypt, I took 22 people and we did the, you know, the, the chakra initiation journey from Abu Simbel and the first chakra you know, through Philae, Edfu, up into uh, Luxor and Karnak and Dendera and all the way up. And the night we were at the, uh, in the Great Pyramid, which was the summer solstice, um, uh, we had, I had them toning for three hours. They, we had these 14 foot tall beans appear literally around the circle. It was just amazing. So, you know, you're absolutely right. I think that the, the those chambers are built in such a way to open up your crown chakra, open up your heart, and to uh, pull back the veils between the visible and invisible realms. So I just, I love what you said. So thank you. Thank um, you, Tresha. We wanted to say also, when we talked to our colleagues at Stanford Research Institute that did the original studies of the Sphinx in 1976, remember the keys came out in 1973, they acknowledged the fact that uh, the Egyptians had to import over 500 miles special mocha stones that had a vibratory capacity. So they, the Egyptian uh, pre-scientists selected certain stones that would resonate at a certain level in each of the chambers and each of the levels of the Sphinx, as well as the pyramid, the Sphinx has not been fully detailed as yet publicly, represents certain circulatory patterns in the human body. And if what is uh, done with the right people or musicians, uh, public enactment takes place then the Sphinx begins to speak, or like in ancient Iran or Persia, like in Egypt, the pyramids began to oscillate and work together. But I think we agree with what Freddie Silva said as well, that really there's a higher blueprint, there's a higher coordination on most of the structures around the planet that we've talked about today. Trish, what do you think? Absolutely. And you know, the name of the Sphinx was Hugh or Huana, meaning, you know, protector. And so every time I've gone there, it speaks to me. I mean, telepathically. So I think that they were imbued with a certain consciousness. And that consciousness still resides if you're attuned, like an antenna, to that. And you're absolutely right that, you know, what, one of the things I loved about Freddie is Freddie, like you guys, like me, very serious researcher, really dots his I's and crosses his T's. And what he was showing is basically the worldwide culture that had been set up by the Anunnaki gods, who were clearly vibrational masters. They understood how to levitate stones and how to shift consciousness with vibration and how to build resonant structures architecturally that did it and how to harness the ley lines of the earth. Because the earth itself, you know, is a living being. It is emanating out a frequency, which is a healing frequency. And, you know, they've done experiments and every healer, whether they're Christian or they're, you know, shaman or, you know, you know, up in the wilds of Africa, you know, they always resonate at the Schumann resonance, which is the heartbeat of the Mother Earth. And Trish, you were with us at Chitsunitsa in 2012. You were there for with some of the enactments of music and the vibrations off the temple. And Alan, of course, yeah. And we have pictures <laughs> later that actually show beams of light coming through our bodies. I actually, the film, 
is more than 10 minutes long. I need to show you this. It's, we have to restrain sometimes ourselves because the public at large, uh, the guards uh, and the so-called bureaucrats don't like people to understand that there's a whole vibratory science. They would like people simply to be there to take pictures and uh, offers and pass on without any real experience. And this panel, this today's presentation from all the speakers was to bring out the law's teaching of vibration and music that's missing, without which we cannot truly activate the grid or the network of the ancient sacred pipes. And I was just going to say, you know, we feel this is these grids and places are coded into the planet from the very beginning of the planet. It wasn't made because of, you know, certain things taking place on the planet. It was like part of the original uh, energy of the planet. And we would even place that beyond uh, any of the local legends that have been talked about, that this is part of a cosmic divine design. Can, can, I, can I ask a question? Because I, I agree with you completely, and I think that's that's fascinating, and it's so important. And to JJ, to your point of, you know, this is just isn't about, you know, singing and whatever. There's a purpose for us to be involved in order to help activate the grids. But bring in for me, because this was my question through the whole conference, bring in, go all the way back to Mindahi and bring in the elements, bring in the directions, you know, bring in the fire, the water, the air. How does the the natural world, you know, sound is the the blueprint of everything, right? But but bring in all the living sentient beings within this blueprint. How does that all fit together in your in your opinion? I know Madahi very good. We're working with him uh, through mutual friends in the indigenous community, also with other colleagues from various universities. And this is what is called the gathering of the tribes or the people of light. Some would call it the tribe of peace. Some would call it the higher wisdom traditions that are being brought together. It's really the resources of all of our work overlapping and complementing on a worldwide scale, a whole new wave of education and outreach which must open the hearts and minds. Otherwise, it's the same old bureaucrats running the show of separating cultures and people and preaching a negativity of death rather than the prosperity of life. Well, we really turn the tree of life upside down. So we feel that the fire and the water and the earth, all these elements are really at the behest of a higher consciousness reality. And so, you know, as you could stare into a candle flame and make it go brighter or less bright, depending on your own energy, that's how it works with all other realities as well. So, you know, these elements are elements, but they're also under a kind of level of consciousness control, which we have the ability to manage, but we don't for the most part, but there are higher beings that are working for the planet with the planet that are also being able to do that. And my hey, can, daughter, as you may or may not know, is a leading spokesperson for the young people of the world. For the environment. To be more concerned about the environment. So you can't ignore what Mother Nature, Mother Earth is telling us. Right. We must wake up and use different vibrations. Right. And that's why I'm trying to tie it together where they really feel as one of our other mutual colleagues who's on the call, Kurt Johnson, always says interdigitated, you know, how they really work together so we don't see the indigenous maybe separate from the from the sound or we don't see the animals or you know all of it show how it all is interconnected it really is a consciousness field and uh, we're all part of that we're all trying to augment it at this time so the work that you and neil are doing is so important we need a new global outreach and trish go ahead 
Yeah, I was just going to say that the elements are really the the paint box of the divine. I mean, the elements, all the planes, all the dimensions are made from the elements, but in different proportions. You know, some say that the first element is water. That's the cosmic ocean of love and mercy. That would be what in science we would call the quantum field. Okay. Uh, and, and then the next element they say is fire, the Big Bang, you know, the spark of life and that lives within every living creature and so forth. So water, fire, then air, which is the breath or the Holy Spirit or the shoe or the prana that connects all four of the elements. And then finally, the earth element. Down here, we've got all four elements, but the earth seems to be prominent. But in the astral plane, when you move up, you're not bound in the same ways because the proportions of the elements shift. The same thing when you go up to the uh, uh, Divashan plane or the mental plane and then the causal plane and the soul plane and so forth and so on. So the elements are, there's a hierarchy within the elements as well. There are, let us say, kings of the elemental kingdom that, um, or queens. And, and But just as Desiree said, there's consciousness behind it. They obey certain laws. That's their their job as expressions of the divine or a tomb or sugmat or god or whatever we want to think of the great intelligence behind it all but at the same time they're also responsive to other intelligences and so you can communicate with them we've just lost our um we haven't we we've forgotten our affinities you know and that's what shamanism teaches in its purest form is the is you know, be an earth human as well as a star being, you know, honor all the elements and work with them inside of yourself, balance your physical, your mental, your emotional, your spiritual, but also work with them outside of yourself as well. And you look at and they're controlling things like their breath, they're controlling things like their heat in their body, which is their fire element. Okay, so we, we, we once knew this, we've just kind of lost right. it. And I just want to add, because we were, we're here in Sedona, Arizona, and just recently there was a major fire around, and we got together and we did prayers to keep the fire out, and then we had rain shortly thereafter, and of course the fire started getting under control. And we've done this with hurricanes hitting Mexico, ask people to pray. I mean, you have to realize, especially now at this day and age, that we are not little lambs for the slaughter. We actually can use our energies to mitigate, and maybe not remove, but at least mitigate what's going on on this planet. That's so important. Right. That's that a great point, point Heisenberg, right. the power of the mind, plus what we know from the sutras, the ancient uh, uh, indigenous traditions, the power of the mind collectively can work to bring mind and over uh, matter, rain can take place. The elements can be tamed, can be balanced because we're part of it also is the great co-evolutionist chapter of life continues. I just want to ask, I just want to jump in if those ancient sites still have power, even though they were built 14,000 years ago, some of them, do, can we still use them for today's consciousness? Well, we've been there using them. Again, that's another story. And because it's, it has nothing to do so much with the physical thing, that's part of it, but we feel there's an energetic 
energy behind most of these places. I can't say every single place that has a temple or a church is something sacred, but basically the energy field and the grid point and the opening to the vortex or the portal to ascension is really there. The biblical story of Moses going to the top of the mountain with the 70 to receive the light the discharge is a model of going to the top of Mount Fuji or the Himalayas or the Great Tetons, North America, and creating the energy reservoir that is there and pulsating physically to places of need. And so, again, as we begin to understand the topologies of Mother, Mother Earth that are changing, Mother Earth is telling us that we can work with the land masses, the air masses, the water a uh, system that's basically attuned to our soul because we are 70% water. We need to understand that that's the collective consciousness, the collective spirit, the collective engineering that we need by a new generation of young environmentalists that the power of bureaucrats have completely ignored. And I just want to say something about Freddie Silva mentioned Orion and we mentioned Orion several times in our talk. And yes, a lot of these places are geared to Orion because Dr. Jack's experience actually, Orion was another portal to other dimensional realities. And so that's why Orion is a key. We're actually in the Orion arm of the Milky Way. That's our closest portal to ascension. We talked about sacred grid points on the earth. That's a sacred grid point literally in the heavens. In the future, I'm gonna release some film we took under Egypt, underground, seeing these uh, fantastic halls, these openings where the Egyptians were doing experimental work. So what we know in, in intellectual history is about one-tenth of the truth. What we know about extraterrestrial life, again, is about one thousandth of the truth. We just have to, to, shall we say, change our speed of thought and assimilation, and in a loving way, find out those teachers, those way showers, and realize that we have a part to play as the collective avant-garde to get new information out there and put business with the networks give us only negative garbage. Yeah, so Orion is really important. You know, Lyra and um, Orion both are huge stargates, and it's why they were fought over. I mean, there have been very high, high civilizations in that area, but the reptilians definitely have wanted that territory. They've wanted to control it. And so, you know, that's one of the reasons why it's been challenged. So, you know, we're, we're, uh, we're also a pretty prized territory here, even though we're a little further out. So, you know, it's important for events like this to continue to go on, I think, to bring light and consciousness into the world. So, Neil, I know Alan was with his family, so maybe you could, oh, there he is, back again. Maybe you could wrap it up. I think we've had a great day today. We want to thank, again, Ariel and Neil for sponsoring some great people being brought together. Alan, are you back with us? I just wanted to ask everyone in wrapping it up, but I wanted to ask JJ and Desiree and, and Tricia and then Neil, of course, you. Um, based on everything that was shared today and, and knowing that, that it is all of our responsibility to kind of step up at this point and, and support the reactivation of the grid and the earth and, and, and so forth, what would each of you say to everyone listening that they can do you know um personally in their lives what would if you had to give them one thing to say do this to support the greater collective work what, what would you say well this is the time of what i would call the the super highway to the stars of information this is the time of building a university without walls by utilizing the resources of the internet and your own personal library or your particular uh, archaeological, anthropological, sociological work 
to teach young people, especially those who are losing heart as to the nature of the future, that we have a positive future if we want to keep a message on a high level. Right. So we also believe this is the time really of the Great Awakening, as people are calling it. We call it the space-time overlap, which is where levels of higher intelligence, which really encoded our whole system, is coming back, is trying to give us information on what we can do. They don't want to do it for us. They want to give us information so that we can make a difference. We can do it. They'll help to a certain extent. So we need to be open to higher levels of divine connection, and we need to empower ourselves through the divine connection, not just by our own ego, to be able to make a difference on the planet. And you could do it, I say, even housewives or people living in the most remotest places of the planet can make a difference because we know that there is a non-local reality that we're entangled to. So we've done, we have it in a book called Mind Dynamics, Prayers for Peace in the Middle East, when it was really bad in the 70s and Kissinger was making his, his diplomacy all over, we got together, we did prayers for peace and really amazing things, not just from us, but from everybody who's joining together to do these things can make a difference. So please don't feel unempowered, feel self-empowered and divinely empowered and use your energy for the best, for the common good, for helping humanity. The bottom line is networking with light and love in a practical way. Seeing that we have a positive future and realizing your incarnation is in the greatest moment of history where the sky is going to open and we will realize and i know this from astronauts i work with privately and from alan steinfeld's book making contact that there are cosmic cultures on our doorstep waiting for us to take the higher path that higher path means each of us must do more with less sing greater sounds or mantras or vibratory levels of experience so that keep our body and mind and spirit in unity concept of a threefold nature or a trinity body mind and spirit is the realization of a breakthrough from the dualistic separation of east and west, north and, and south. And just as the grid points of the earth are opening, again, the grid points of the heavens are opening, and even to the, each individual. So be your higher self and be the greater love that the planet needs. Chris? <laughs> well, gosh, you know, I mean, who needs to say anything more? <laughs> I will say a few things, though. Um, I think that uh, we do have to realize that the that the universe is alive, that, you know, of those seven hermetic laws, the first one is that the universe is conscious. And so that means that everything is conscious at some level, whether it's a rock, a stone, a crystal, a plant, an animal, uh, it, the person next door that you don't like who lives in, you know, a crazy house, you know, uh, your mother-in-law, <laughs> you know, whoever it is. Everyone is on the on the wheel of evolution someplace and ultimately we're all divine sparks of God. It's just some people are in a uh, they're maybe less evolved and maybe a million years ago that's where you were. So we have to have compassion, we have to have patience with ourselves and with one another and you know that thing that love is the answer, it, it is and sometimes you know doesn't mean you can't draw boundaries but yes in the end, love is the answer. And so going into your heart, that practice of prani that I taught, which is a practice of basically blowing up the boulders that are um, blocking you from your purpose and from your path of greatest expression. Uh, you know, if you get a chance to watch the uh, replay of this, absolutely do. It's a powerful, simple process anyone can do that has to do with lighting this inner interior flame of the heart 
and uh, using the breath to breathe out those uh, pebbles that are caught in your shoes that are making your path a difficult path. Uh, so working with light and love, vibration and sound, working on yourself and also remembering to be in service. Being of service keeps us humble. Uh, no matter how bad your situation is, there's always people in a worse situation. So the more we can be in service and keep our hearts open, uh, you know, as they say, trust in God and tie your camel. Uh, I think we're, you know, we begin to awaken ourselves and awaken the family of light around us. Ariel? Oh, I was going to pass it to Neil. I think it, it, Neil's going to chime in now, but I was going to say hug a tree, you know, just uh, honor where you walk, be aware of where you walk. You know, I'm just so inspired by today and by by all of you. So thank you. Me too. Me too. Thank you both. Yeah. Thank you guys so much. Uh, I mean, I really got chills from both of what, you know, Desiree, JJ, and what Trisha just said because it's just so on point and it's such great, you know, not advice, but just words to like, to potentially live by, you know, the philosophy of life, what, why are we here and what do we want to get out of this life, right? We all want to love and be loved for the most part. And how can we create that? We see a lack of it. We see a lot of division in the world. And I, I often said, like, even those that maybe come from a place of anger or hatred or, um, you know, something that's negative usually comes from the lack of love or feeling appreciated or, or wanted. So I, I find it so beautiful that even when we see this, you know, negativity play out in the world is actually coming from a lack of the thing that we all want and need, which is that nurturing element, you know, to be, to be like, um, to be taken care of, know that we're doing enough, that we are enough. You know, I used to say my goal in life was to not love myself for what I do, but love myself for just simply existing. Because for a while, for many years, I loved myself. I hated myself actually, but I, I loved myself because I did Portal to Ascension. I loved myself for the words and the actions and the events that I put on. But I knew that that was only creating an if-then statement. If I if I'm gonna if I create these events, then I'm worthy of love. So even though on some level I knew I was using it as a crutch, it was also creating this lack mentality for me. So my whole journey has been, how can I love myself with simply existing? And my wish for all of humanity is to figure out, not to, to go through the journey that we need to go through in order to get a point to a point that we can simply love ourselves for the fact that we exist and we're source here experiencing ourselves on this planet. And as my journey continues, I, I realize when I'm disconnected from myself, my, my heart, right? I'm, I'm hyper aware of myself, sometimes to a fault. So I, I want to really just like emanate and connect my brain heart connection so that I could speak from my heart, but still use my intellect. So, you know, I'm just, I'm going all over the place in regards to this question here, but just to make it a little concise, concise more concise, I got a second what Trisha said about compassion, right? But definitely compassion to yourself. That's the thing that Trisha said as well, that a lot of people I feel um, don't have, you know, we have a lot of love and compassion for others and sometimes put ourselves out and don't create boundaries for others. I've seen this happen a lot, not everybody, but knowing and respecting and loving ourselves and being okay with, you know, our mistakes, our, you know, failures, which aren't really even failures, but uh, just knowing that this is the journey we're on, right? And I go back to the quote from the Rig Veda. It's the, it's not the destination, it's the journey that counts, right? So the just destination is the same. We're going to all end up 
having another incarnation, being an ET, going back to our simultaneous lives, going back to source, whatever. But the journey that we're going through right now is what really matters, what, what intention and how present we are with this moment. And the only way we can create that future, that beautiful, peaceful, loving, a super conscious technology future is by figuring out the modalities we need to be present in this moment. So my, what I'll leave everybody with is this event is just about like connecting to the earth and just loving the earth and then loving ourselves as reflections of the planet, but definitely having that, that deep connection to who we are and that exploration and that, that curiosity for like, who are we and where do we come from without that like mentality. Right. So just one last thing, I guess, is just, I want to say that just the question really, I, I like to present to myself and I would love for others in the world to maybe adopt as well, is that how can we bring unity to the world? And especially when we see the division, how like coming up with methods in order to bring that oneness and connection when we see such a divisive world manifesting in front of us at times. Neil, you're, you're like the greatest. You're so, I love how authentic you are. You're really authentic. Thank and you. I really get that about you. And, you know, that's one of the things is it's hard sometimes to love your own shadow, but mm -hmm. we have to, we talk about unifying others. We have to unify the parts of ourselves first. So mm. that that's the inner work. Definitely. And I think science is starting to tell us that we really are all interconnected. You know, we've been growing up with this idea that we're separate, we're individuals. Yes, we're all sparks of the divine. I think maybe said it, but an, Ultimately, we are all consciously interconnected. We're picking up on each other's thoughts. We're sharing our thoughts with others. We have to see ourselves as being really one holism, the many and the one. The one is also the many, and I think that's how the universe unfolds. So we just have to start understanding the importance of being in harmony, even if we disagree, and that's the important thing. We can agree to disagree and still be with love, unconditional love and harmony. This is the age of synthesis. It's the age of the greater pouring out of spirit. And that means the greater gifts are there that we want to use it for them. Collectively, we know the story is going to require much from each of us. And this is just the beginning of a great new page of human experience connecting us with the higher evolution. Again, we want to thank uh, Ario and Neil for the great work. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for, for presenting today. It's yeah. been incredible. Yeah. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. All right, and we're going to wrap it up. Thank you, JJ, Desiree, Trisha. Be in touch soon. Love you guys. Blessings be. Bye, everyone. Thank you to everyone who joined us. One one last thing. We'll just stay on with me for real quick, Ariel, if you want, for a moment while we close it up here. Um, I just wanted to say thank you to you while we're on here that we created this together. This is our second annual one. We do have an, um, the one from last year that we did on December 12th, I believe, 12, 12. And, you know, it's just, just, it's really been beautiful collaborating with you and just creating these events now where I'm collaborating with other individuals, but especially with what we're doing together. Not only are, did we create this event, but we are also doing courses. You have um, a whole book. Uh, series going on and you have a publishing agency why don't you let everybody know especially the people on youtube right now that might not know about it just a little summary about yourself because you didn't really introduce yourself and your work oh yeah no thank you yeah so we're um sacred stories or you know sacredstories.com and and as neil said we're book publishing and um online course division we have book publishing online course division 
We do conferences like this with Neil. We have a book series that has already launched um, Call for Stories and it is called Common Sentience is the book series. And we have six books we just closed to Call for Stories on and, and they are about our personal spiritual experiences, you know, really expanding the narrative um, and telling new stories. And we have a number of new books, uh, Call for Stories for Books launching in October and Neil will be the author of one um, with the title of Sound. So a lot to tell, a lot going on, but I encourage everyone to go to sacredstories.com, check out Common Sentience, check out our other books, check out our Sacred You, which is our online course division. Neil has a course there and Trisha has six of them actually, um, and so many others. And yeah, a lot of, lots going on, a lot of goodness and um, a lot more to come. So thank you. Yep. Neil. Thank you. Thank you so much, Ariel. I appreciate doing this with you. It's been great. And um, that's it for today, everybody. Thank you, everybody, so much. The replay will be out within 24 to 48 hours, so stay tuned for that. You do have unlimited replay access. If you love what you experienced today want to share it with others, they can still go to the website and sign up there as well. So and that's it for me. Love you all. Thank you, Ariel. Thanks. Everybody have a beautiful night. Thanks, everyone.